Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 18. Let me pray. Lord God, we ask that you would open our ears to hear what you say to your church. Thank you that you are a rewarder of those who seek you. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to seek you and find you. Help us to seek you with all our hearts. In your name we pray. Today is Easter, and in our passage today, it is the first Lord's Day morning of the new and eternal covenant. It is the first moment of the new creation. It is Resurrection Day. It's the beginning of a new, perfect, and eternal world. For the first time in our passage, a human being will have entered into an endless life with an imperishable, powerful, glorious spiritual body. By the resurrection, he will be declared the Son of God with power. Jesus Christ enters into our future. And this morning, he becomes the firstborn of the new creation, the firstborn from the dead. This, even more than the sacrifice of the Son of God, has been what the world has been waiting for. It is the happiest of days. It is at this moment, at the resurrection, that God begins to fix everything. And yet, at this moment, the greatest and happiest of all moments, a moment when the angels in heaven are rejoicing, there is a woman standing outside the tomb, weeping. And are we not just like this sometimes? Blinded by despair, when if we would just open our eyes, we would see that hope is all around us. For God is the Father of Mary, and he's our God too. And so this, this passage is another step in John's task of showing us the heart of God the Father and the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the question I want us to consider the most this morning is, who is the resurrected Jesus? What does it mean for us? Let me read. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. This is God's word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, 
not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Amen. This is now the third day since Christ gave up his spirit into the hands of the Father. It is the third day since he has declared It is finished. It is the third day since his death and burial. As God finished the work of creation on the sixth day and rested on the seventh, Jesus has finished the atoning work of salvation on the sixth day. And on the seventh, he rested. Now many times Jesus had said that he would be killed and then raised on the third day, that the temple would be destroyed and that he would raise it on the third day. That as Jonah was for three days in the belly of the fish, so too the Son of Man would be in the heart of the earth for three days. So it's interesting that none of the Gospels introduce this moment as the third day since the death of Jesus. They all introduce it as the first day of the week. And this is perhaps significant More than referring back to prophecy, I think they wish to show that Christ's resurrection was the beginning of something new. The new creation begins on the same day as the original creation began. It is the first day in the highest sense. Now on the first day of the week, while darkness still covered the world, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. As we look to the other Gospels, we can fill in some of the details a little bit more. Mary had come to the tomb with a small group of women, including the other Mary, Salome, and Joanna. 
they came to honor Christ's dead body by anointing him with spices. They are overcome with grief. It must have been a terrible weekend for them. Their teacher, their Lord, had been falsely accused, betrayed by one of his own disciples, beaten, whipped, crucified, buried. We know that this morning is the happiest of mornings, and the angels know it. But these women still do not know what this day holds in store for them. So at the earliest possible moment after the Sabbath is over, they go to the tomb to mourn him, to honor him. Notice the love that they have for the Lord, even at this moment when their faith is so severely tested. The other disciples will be found behind locked doors, hiding for fear of the Jews. But they come to the tomb and they do not see him there. And the panic begins. It seems that as soon as Mary Magdalene sees that the stone covering the entrance to Jesus' tomb has been rolled away, she immediately leaves the other women probably to run and tell the disciples what she mistakenly believes that Jesus' body has been stolen. She runs and finds Peter and John, and in desperation she cries, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. Who knows what they were doing at this time? Maybe John is taking care of Jesus' mother. Maybe Peter is still in despair for having denied his Lord three times at Christ's most difficult moment. But they still love the Lord too. And so they take off running to the tomb. But John is faster. He's probably younger. It doesn't mean that he loves Jesus more. But whatever the case is, he doesn't wait for Peter. He sees the stone rolled away and he stoops to look in. The body is gone. But strangely enough, the linen wrappings are still there. Now, what type of grave robber would do this? Sometimes grave robbers would take the cloth and the expensive spices and leave the body. But who would take the body, unwrap it, take the naked body away, and leave 100 pounds of expensive spices and new expensive linen There. Now, a moment later, Peter arrives. He doesn't stop at the entrance like John. Just like Peter, he charges right in. All the way into the tomb. He sees that the wrappings are there. But now, perhaps because he's all the way in the tomb, he also sees the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, rolled up or folded up in a place by itself. Now, you might remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead, not that long ago, he came out of the tomb still all wrapped up, and Jesus told the people, unbind him and let him go. But something different has happened here. Some people think that Jesus' body passed right through the cloth. Some think that the cloth was simply removed and folded up as if Jesus got up and made his bed 
first thing in the morning. But the point is that the cloth is there. The body is gone. The body that Jesus, that was Jesus' body when he died is no longer there. It is the resurrection of the body. The tomb is empty. Now what grave robbers would not only remove the claws from Jesus' body and then take their time and calmly fold it back and put it back in the place where Jesus' body had been. John enters the tomb and he sees this too. The Bible tells us that Peter marvels in another gospel. But here it says John believed. I think this must mean that John now believes that Jesus rose, as he had said. For up to this moment, they had not understood the scripture that Jesus must rise. So it seems John was perhaps the last person Jesus spoke to before he died, and the first one to believe in the resurrection. But they see nothing else. It seems the angels were hidden from them. Jesus will not reveal himself to them, not yet, but he gives them an opportunity to reflect on these things in faith. If you go through all of Christ's appearances to everyone, you will notice that there is no one who Jesus first reveals himself to and says, look, I'm alive, until the message of the resurrection has first been given so they can believe by faith and not by sight. In every case, it is this way. Just like for you. You, see, you hear of the resurrection. You have the opportunity to believe before Jesus reveals himself. Not even his own disciples had it any other way. So the two disciples go away again to their own places. But Mary stays outside the tomb. She is bound there by a greater love. It seems Mary must have followed them back to the tomb and remained there after they had left. Why does she stay? She knows that Jesus is gone, but she has nowhere else to go. Nowhere else for her to be. No one else can comfort her. She thinks that her teacher has been taken away and her deep love to him binds her to this place. But he was more than just her teacher, wasn't he? He was her savior. Jesus had not come to her when she was a fisherman or a tax collector or some other occupation. When Jesus found her, She was possessed by seven demons. He saved her life, and she devoted that life to him. Brothers and sisters, has he saved you too? And if so, should we not also desire him, seek him, long to be with him, follow him? We must ask the question here, if God has saved us, shouldn't we desire nothing more than to be near him? That was the case for Mary. 
She had to be near her Savior, whether in life or in death. So like John before her, she stoops and she looks inside the tomb. Now, John doesn't mention that she sees the grave cloth there. For there's something else that catches her sight. There are two angels clothed in white sitting where Jesus' body had been. One at his head, one where his feet had been, almost like the two cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. I expect that the angels were probably there the whole time, probably watching over Jesus' body the whole time he was in the tomb. But they are revealed to Mary for a special reason. Yet it is not not a message that they have for Mary. It's a question. Woman, why are you weeping? The Savior has risen The tomb is empty. Now all of the host of heaven must be rejoicing at this moment. Victory has been won. The Lord holds the keys of death and Hades, and he is alive forevermore. Mary has looked into an empty grave, and if the body of Jesus was still there, there would be reason to weep. But it is gone It is empty. And so there is the greatest distance between what Mary feels at this moment and what the angels must feel. Woman, why are you weeping? This is due in part to Mary's ignorance. But there is something more that the angels cannot understand. Not fully. They cannot understand what it is like to be possessed by seven demons and to have someone come and rescue you. They cannot understand what it is like to be dead in sin, separate from God, without hope, without Christ. And then one day Jesus came along, called her by name, forgave her sins, rescued her. They cannot know Jesus as their Savior, not the way Mary does. Mary says, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they laid him. But now something else catches her attention. Perhaps the angels stood as the king of the angels approached. Mary turns around, and a man is standing behind her. It's Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. He must be the gardener. And the first words spoken by the resurrected Lord to the people he died to save, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now stop for a moment and notice this. Christ has now been raised, not like Lazarus or anyone else, He has been raised to an endless life with power and glory and joy that no man has ever possessed. He has conquered the grave. He has triumphed over Satan. He stands victorious over his creation with an authority 
unsurpassed as the Lord of heaven and earth. His body is the first of the new and eternal creation. And what does he do at the moment of this victory? What will he do with all this power, all this authority? He returns to the grave because a woman needs him. Because a woman is desperately seeking him. And she needs him the most. And so it is with all who seek him. For God is a rewarder of those who seek him. And his heart is always the same. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity. To give you a future and a hope. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Jesus had said just a few days earlier, He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and show myself to him. Well, Mary has loved him. Mary has sought him. Mary's still seeking him. So of all the places that Jesus could be, he's here because Mary seeks him and she needs his comfort. Psalm 34 tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I wonder, brothers and sisters, friends, are you brokenhearted? The Lord is near to you. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. See, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit precisely to bind up the brokenhearted, to preach the gospel to the poor, to comfort those who mourn. And this resurrection morning, he returns to the tomb for the same reason. You see, brothers and sisters, he has been raised, but his heart for you has not changed. He does not go into heaven celebrating his victory away from you. His troubles are over. No, he considers that your troubles are still his troubles. He considers that when you are persecuted, he is persecuted. That when someone gives so much as a cup of water to one of his little ones, It's given to him. You are his bride. He will not leave us. So he comes back to comfort Mary. So who is Jesus? He is still the lover of your soul. The removal of all his pain and weakness has not in the least changed his heart for you. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She doesn't answer. She just requests his body. But she won't get the dead body that she asked for, for God has provided something better. The living Christ is before her. Angels 
are behind her. And yet somehow she is in despair. It's not that God isn't faithful. It's that her faith is so small. And then the voice that cast out her demons calls her once more. Mary. The good shepherd has sought his sheep. He has called her by name. And his sheep hear his voice. So it is with every Christian. The evidence is all around you. The hope is all around you. But nothing will open your eyes until the Lord graciously calls you by name. Mary. And she turns again, probably falling down at his feet. Rabboni. Her sorrow has been turned to joy. Jesus is alive forevermore. Brothers and sisters, Jesus offers himself to you today as well. If you seek him, he will be found by you. For he will not withhold himself from anyone who loves him, anyone who seeks him. If you've come today to church because you come once a year, This will not help you until you come to him. You must seek him. Jesus told the Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but it is they that testify of me, and yet you will not come to me that you might have that life. Brothers and sisters, we all must come seeking Christ in the sermon in the scriptures. Do not come merely for formality's sake, for culture. How sad it would be if you came here this morning and Christ offers himself to you and you turn away and the opportunity is gone. A few more weddings, a few more funerals, a few more hellos, a few more goodbyes. And eternity waits for you. There is a Savior, and he has risen. He has paid it all. And he offers himself to those who seek him. Seek him now, and he will be found by you. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. But there is something even better for her than Christ's physical presence. It is the spirit that she needs. The spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Jesus has been the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now he must ascend to the Father in order to be the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So he gently restrains Mary's zeal with a promise of something even better. He is going to the Father. The promise is for Mary and for the disciples and everyone who calls on Christ's name. This message that he says, go and tell the disciples this. Surprisingly, the message is not that Jesus is alive. It is not that Jesus has risen. The message is that Jesus is ascending. 
that he is ascending to the Father to receive the Holy Spirit for us to pour out on us. He is ascending to the Father to be enthroned and to reign from heaven for us, to rule in our hearts, to conquer our enemies until the last enemy is crushed beneath his feet, death itself. He is ascending to the Father to be our representative in God's very presence. And so even though his body is so much more powerful and glorious than ours is now, the language he uses is closer than ever. Go tell my brothers. You know, that's the first time in the Gospels that Jesus calls them his brothers. He calls them this not after they did something good. It was after they had denied him, after they had abandoned him. You see how loving and merciful God is to us in Christ. And to emphasize this closeness even more, he says, tell my brothers that I ascend to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. See, because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ has not just become the firstborn. He has become the firstborn among many brethren. And it is completed when he ascends to the Father. And this woman who started the day weeping has now had her whole world changed with a word. When the Savior called her by name, I have seen the Lord, she declares to the disciples, and thus it will be for all of you who seek him. You will see him one day. Will you know him? Will you be known by him? Brothers and sisters, I have a glorious message for you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And he is still near the brokenhearted. Those who seek him will surely find him, for he will not withhold himself from any who love him. Lord, we thank you for being the great Savior you are, for not going on vacation when your work seems to be done, but coming right back to us. Lord, we pray that we would come to you that we would seek you, that we would find you. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Call us by name. Give us hearts to rejoice in you, for you have won. We love you, Lord. Amen.